Hey, thanks for being with us. Another episode of the On Fire podcast brought to you by NBC7. I'm Darnay Tripp, joined by a guy who would love to be at the Omni Hotel in Dallas right now, and that is Derek Tuggerson. Derek, how are you? Wishing I was at the Omni Hotel in Dallas right now. Yeah, <laughs> especially, especially after we got some, some really good news on a couple of, uh, of Padres getting some nice recognition. So that's, uh, that's nice. And I, and I think today's guest probably agrees with us as well. In fact, that's when I met today's guest was when we were at... Uh, what was it, the Marriott last year um, in San Diego for the winter? Wait, if, if it's not a sponsor, we can't say the name of the hotel, right? Uh, well, well, we'll let it slide in, in this case. Okay, Manchester not, Grand it, Hyatt downtown. There we go. It's not a competing <laughs> sponsor, which is the most important thing. Speaking of, yeah, which, good. Uh, speaking of which, uh, obviously, as we know, tough time uh, for restaurants. And uh, if, you, if you're thinking about supporting a local spot, check out OG's um, order, take out a delivery directly from OG's by either visiting OG's.com or calling their local OG's to place an order, purchase gift cards. If you purchase a gift card that is $25 or more, more, Derek, you can receive an OG's ornament to throw in the tree as well. And as we've mentioned before, Ooh. and I know our guest is a fan of this, you can add to go alcohol to your order. OG's are, they're doing growler fills, so plenty of options and, uh, Again, tough time for restaurants. Um, so make sure to go out and support them and certainly keep OGs in mind. All right, we are um, pleased to have Eno Saris back with us, um, national writer for The Athletic. And I was thinking about too, the last time we had you on was back in April before everything really got started. It was about a month into this thing. You were getting ready. I think you just finished teaching a, a phys ed class to your kids. And now we just learned that you've run 500 miles. Like, I feel like you've gotten the full, like, quarantine life experience between, like, teaching at home, getting regular exercise, maybe drinking more beer than you planned to this, this year. I don't know. Uh, I've been taking full advantage of the relaxation and the liquor laws that you just sort of mentioned. Uh, and so I've been getting delivery uh, beer, which I really, uh, I think that's been fun to get delivery straight from the brewery. So I've been, uh, you know, having some pure project from San Diego oh, nice. uh, delivered uh, along with some Highland Park in LA, uh, and, you know, and then the stalwarts like Russian River and you know, all the other, all the other ones that are out there. But uh, yeah, I've been taking advantage. That's, they go hand in hand. You, you drink all the beer, you have to run all the miles. <laughs> it's, it's important to stay hydrated. And, and you tweeted out about hitting that 500 mile mark, which I think is incredible. And I think a lot of us went into March and April thinking, okay, like if there's ever a time to hunker down and get some good exercise in, like this is going to be it. But you actually did it. What has that We'll get to baseball and all that. But what has that experience been like? I'm just curious. I, I don't know how many miles I've logged in a certain year, but it certainly hasn't touched 500. I've, uh, you know, I've, I've never run like 50 before. And so, and I used to hate running, um, but my uh, choice for, uh, you know, exercise before was pick up basketball, which in the age of coronavirus seems like just about the nastiest thing <laughs> <laughs> getting real sweaty and close up with a bunch of dudes you don't know like uh it'll take some time and a bunch of vaccine before i'm uh picking up the ba the pickup basketball thing again so running is just one of those things you can do you can avoid people you can run in the middle of the street since no one's driving um and uh and uh i've i've I've, I've started to really enjoy it, uh, especially, you know, the first mile, I'm a little bit old, you know, sometimes it's a little bit creaky. Uh, once you start getting the second, third, fourth miles, um, eh, there's like a rhythm and uh, along with the music, um, 
I, I, I get into it. I, I, I enjoy it. And uh, it's, a not a, it's a not a screen moment in front of me. You know, this is, that's one of the battles with the kids has been, you know, their school is on screen. Uh, they want screen time all the time. So like, you know, the battle has been like, how long can we keep them off the screens until we're just so exhausted? We say, fine, you know, <laughs> go get your iPad, go play the video games, whatever it is. So for even for myself, you know, I'm, I'm on screens all day. So getting out there and running has been uh, a good way to take the screen away for a little bit. Curious now from uh, kind of turning to the baseball side of things. Again, we, we spoke in April and a lot of the conversation was about, okay, like how are they going to do this? What's it going to look like? Should they do this? Um, and then obviously we, we know how things played out. Um, what's your perspective on, on how things ended up going for baseball, <clears throat> where we're at right now Um and just what they've been able to accomplish in um, a very challenging year. Yeah, I mean, it ended up being about as challenging as we thought it might be going into it. I mean, when you're talking about the way the Cardinal season went and the way the Marlins season went, I mean, those two franchises uh, made us question in the middle of it if we were going to finish, you know, like they, they were hit hard. Um, and I think that that was a wake up call to the rest of the players just being like, Hey, we kind of need to all follow the protocols. Uh, maybe I'm not saying necessarily the Cardinals and Marlins were, you know, doing anything bad, but like, maybe we just need to be really aware of what we're doing. And, you know, the Indians episode with Clevenger, you know, where like, you know, we can't, we can't do these things. We, if we want to finish the season and if we want to win and we want to have our, our, you know, our collective back, if we want to like be on the same page and, and, and win together, then we need to just um, have a crappy year socially, you know, <laughs> not go and do these uh, other things that, that might put the, the team at risk. So once those things happened and I thought, you know, I was like, if there, if, if one more team has a breakout then, and we cancel half the games on the, on the ledger today, then I think, we might have to take a whole pause. I mean, even in, in Japan, they took like a two week pause where they just didn't have baseball uh, for two weeks. And I thought we might have to do something like that at least, but it, we just barely got through it, you know, and, and not every team uh, played all 60 games, but it was, uh, we managed to do it. And um, I think, uh, you know, for some of us, um, you know, for some of the people whose lives livelihoods depended on it, including myself, but, you know, all sorts of people from writers down to uh, people like stadium staff and stuff like that. Like there was, uh, there were a lot of people that needed it, I think. And I think it was worth it in the end. Um, and, um, you know, it's just, it's a difficult time for a lot of people, you know, you're talking about restaurants and stuff. They're all closing down and, you know, it's, it's really tough. So to, 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 to keep the industry going, um, I think it was worth it. Well, it turned out also to be a really good almost social experiment because when we had the Marlins breakout and we knew that they were out on the field playing with the Phillies and they were you know, in fairly close contact, but outdoors. And then nobody in the Phillies uh, on the team tested positive. It was just the clubhouse people who, of course, spend time inside with one another. That was a, a kind of a good indication that, well, we're learning more about this, about this virus and how it transfers and how mm -hmm. outdoor transmission is really not as, as big of a concern that we thought it would be. So, you know, the CDC was able to then look at it that way and researchers are, are, are learning more about it. And that's why we're seeing the spike now, of course, because more people are going aside, it's getting colder, yada, yada, you know, you can fill in all the blanks here. So baseball, almost by doing that, 
I don't want to say using all the players as guinea pigs, but in kind of in a way, it was like, well, we're going to try this. We're going to see how it happens. And it, and it worked out in a way that I think a lot of people didn't realize. Did you almost notice like a, uh, an unintended side effect of them doing that, maybe helping in, in some sort of a way, maybe kind of more comprehend what we're all going through right now globally? You know, I think so. I think it was also high profile young people uh, getting it in shape, young people getting it. So getting, you know, more data on how that affected that. The myocarditis thing with Eduardo Rodriguez was very interesting that here was a young person who got it, who didn't really have that many um, symptoms, but uh, did have to take a full year off of like running, you know, like he, he couldn't run for six months. Uh, because of the myocarditis. So, um, you know, it's, there was a lot of things I think we learned from it. And also, you know, in, in, in the context of baseball itself, I think we learned some stuff. I mean, I heard, uh, I learned that I hate Zoom interviews uh, with players. <laughs> Thank, and I for, hope. Thanks for joining us today, by the way. It's a poor substitute for, uh, for in-person uh, relationships. Um, but I would say that um, hopefully that, I, I mean, I, we heard a lot from players about how they miss the fans. And um, in a piece that I wrote this week that, you know, uh, I don't know if it actually made the final piece, but we had a, a quote from somebody saying that players were telling him that it felt like B, uh, spring training B game level intensity in the major leagues. Um, so I don't think necessarily the intensity was all the way there. Um, and maybe that's why we had kind of a chalk finish to the season. I wonder if, uh, intensity is something that helps an underdog. Um, and you know, when we had all those teams in the playoffs and yeah, the Marlins won one round, but you know, after that, it was kind of chalk. Um, and then the other thing that I hope it, I hope, uh, that players kind of realize that, you know, the in-person interviews aren't that bad. You know, and that, you know, that's part of the media interest and the media coverage and the in-person interviews. That's part of what makes the game exciting. It's part of what gets them to relate to the fans. They get, we get their message to the fans. Um, and, uh, and it's part of the whole sort of hubbub that makes baseball so great. So I, I'm hoping, um, I'm hoping that I'll have some genuine, like, hey, good to see you, man. Uh, kind of interactions. I'm hoping I get back in the clubhouse this year because, oh man, it is hard on a Zoom. Zoom is a scrum, right? And so, you know, if you're trying to find, if you're trying to get a little bit of a connection with a player or ask different questions uh, and ask a follow-up and maybe a third follow-up, um, the scrum is not the place. Zoom is not the place for that. So um, I, I kind of uh, tried to use my Rolodex a little bit more this year and um, didn't didn't uh, attend too many zooms it was uh, painful for me yeah there's there's those natural parts of even just the clubhouse scrums where somebody gets down an interesting line of questioning and then people start chiming in and it gets fun and mm. exciting and that's it, not the case when everybody's name is in a queue and they're going one by one yeah. and you're like well i can't answer i can't ask more than three questions you know what i mean don't want to bog down the the whole process right. Especially um, me as a national writer, like I'm coming in, I'm already like, you know, beat writers kind of feel like I'm stepping on their toes anyway. So, you know, I got to wait till the beats all go through their questions. Then I get one, two things at the very end. Um, I'm lucky, lucky I got to write anything good this year. 
Uh, well, you got, you got a lot of stuff. Um, I want to give you a chance to kind of plug some of it, but, but some that we'll, we'll touch on. Just, we don't have an answer to this right now, but just kind of curious gut feeling about now projecting to 2021. Again, way too early, but like, how do you see spring training more or less on time? I think you guys wrote that it could be staggered a bit more with minor league in terms of the season as a whole. Obviously, a lot of changes with minor league. Like, how, what, what percentage close to normal are we? Like taking aside fans just from kind of like a purely like scheduling standpoint, um, mm. do you think we get to 2021 based on what was accomplished this year? Well, one thing that I did report recently um, is that almost no matter what happens, uh, spring, uh, spring training we staggered. So major and minor league camps will be happening at the same time. Uh, that's like almost a given within baseball. So that will lead to some weird decisions about who gets a major league in camp, uh, uh, major league camp invite and who doesn't um, and um, how they sort through the minor leaguers and what happens with like uh, a very ready to go prospect, you know, do, you know, what happens with them? Like, do they just stay at camp because it's easier, or, you know, so there's, I, I'm not sure I see the future on that, but I do see that the camps will be staggered. So minor league season will not start on time and it, that'll be late. Um, and uh, I think therefore that if you kind of extrapolate from that and think about, you know, the, the vaccine efforts and stuff that um, it's possible the major league season is delayed a little bit too, uh, because um, you just give more time to hmm. fans uh, to get vaccinated, to get into the, the seats, uh, to players, staff, everybody to get vaccinated so that um, this next time in 2021, we're not putting anybody, we feel like we're not putting anybody at risk um, and we can open up stadiums. And, uh, you know, I think teams really are feeling that revenue loss from, uh, from fans in the stadiums. So um, it's possible both get delayed. Definitely minor league season is going to get delayed. Uh, but I'm hopeful that there is a minor league season because I just did some reporting about, you know, when in World War II, when, uh, when players went off to war and came back, the ones that went off to war aged worse generally, other than Ted Williams, who's just like nuts. But um, all the rest of them. No, normal human beings. Normal human Ted beings. Yeah, count. No superheroes, you know. Um, they, they aged worse than the general population. And that's because they didn't train for a year, which at least people can train right now for the most part. But not everybody. If you're talking about kids in Venezuela and in some other countries, they're having a real hard time with resources in terms of just getting to a gym, just getting uh, enough food, you know, that sort of deal. So, um, you know, back in World War II, though, they didn't train. They might have had an injury in the war um, and they didn't play the game for a year. So I do think that we're going to see some ramifications from all these prospects not having played in competitive games. I don't even think alternate site games count the same way that a competitive minor league game goes. So I, I, I'm a little bit worried for the quality of the game for these young minor leaguers. There may be sort of a little, a little gap, like a war type gap in uh, the quality of the game for prospects coming up. You talked about the intensity level and you're It doesn't matter if you're playing against the best prospects in the world. If they're on your team, it's not the same. If, unless you're out there against a different uniform against somebody who you are legitimately trying to compete for something against it's physically and mentally and emotionally impossible to generate the same kind of intensity. Um, the guys who were at the alternate training sites, how much of a leg up do you think they're going to have? Like there's going to be a little bit of a gap there between the guys who were, just trying to figure it out on their own 
and haven't played the game in a year versus, you know, like for the Padres, the Hudson Heads and McKenzie Gores of the world who were already in the top prospect mold, but they got an entire summer of big league instruction being around the major league team. How, how much of a jump will we see from those guys versus will somebody go out and hit 420 at triple a, like what, what are, what are we going to going to see with the, the prospects who were able to get legitimate training throughout the off season or the, yeah, I think the regular they'll, season? Right? They'll be better off for it for sure. Um, and the, um, what happens is, you know, I, I'm thinking of somebody and, and I want to say one real quick, what you were saying about um, somebody being on the opposite team, just think about pitching to your own top prospect and just being like, am I going to pitch this guy really far inside? Am I going to break the wrist of the top hitting prospect or am I going to, you know, maybe just go outside? Yeah. Inherently um, you just dial back a little bit. You can't dial it back. You, right. Yeah, yeah. You can't do it. Right. So, so maybe a guy hasn't seen 90, like Joey Bart. I mean, there's a guy who uh, was at the uh, was at the alternate site and then came up and started getting 98 inside and couldn't do much with it. Um, and so he wasn't prepared for that from the alternate side. Just an, just, so anyway, that's that's off top. I mean, that's now back on to your question. Um, I think that the people who are uh, that went to the alternate sites are top prospects. So they they will have had some play time and some training time and they'll, they'll be well served. The young top prospects had instructs. Um, so they are well served. There's a name that I think of that would not be well served. Think of Jake Cronenworth before, uh, before he made it to the major leagues. Jake Cronenworth would have been a guy in double A that you think is okay, a performance prospect of an organizational type prospect. That's what people thought of Jake Cronenworth before he came to the, to the Padres. And that type of prospect is not, you know, protected at the alternate site because, you know, they're not really our top, uh, they're not like Julio Rodriguez or Fernando Tatis Jr. They're not like one of these guys that we think is going to be amazing. They're just, you know, he's just a guy. He'd probably be utility for us, whatever. Um, you know, you just go find some games, go play in the men's league or something. You know? <laughs> um, and uh, they won't go to instructs because instructs is more for like sort of high a uh, 17, 18, 19 year olds. So, um, you know, the Padres are kind of lucky they got Jake Cronenworth when they did because uh, a year later, uh, he might have just had a whole full year off and, and maybe even questioned uh, coming back to the game because you think about age and age at level and how many opportunities you have as, uh, as that kind of guy. Thinking about a guy like Robert Hassel, who, you know, they picked out of high school this year and then was on the alternate site at what, you know, 18 years old. Um, obviously, he's a guy that they're going to invest in regardless. So that's not a surprise. But um, it is a really interesting dynamic in that, like, if, if you're just looking at the pecking order of like where guys are in terms of in the system, you know, working their way up high A, double A. Um, if you're picking solely based on that, like Robert Hassel wouldn't be there because, you know, he's in rookie league. He's in, you know, short season, single A, what have you. Um, that kind of aspect, you know, where they're having to play favorites to some of those top prospects, coupled with fewer um, minor league the, affiliates. The them, yeah. Yeah. And so, and so like, you know, for instance, the Padres, they don't have Tri-City, you know, to, to be part of kind of the, the steps for him. How does that change kind of the path or maybe increase the acceleration for a guy like Robert Hassel, who they've gotten that like, you know, closer look at over the course of those months um and then now fewer places to put them do they maybe favor him do they you know depending on what they see from him do they because they spent that time is he more likely to start a little bit higher in 2021 like how, how does 
that combination of elements impact how, especially these top prospects progress? Is there a way of knowing? Uh, you know, I, I just talked to a farm director for, for that piece about the minor leagues and the war and everything. And, and he said that his process for um, assigning a player uh, has been totally blown apart. And he was thinking about how, um, you know, for a long time, if you took a guy out of college, you put him in a ball, there was a progression and that was just what you did. Um, and he said, but, you know, they've been playing in college for two or three years. You know, what, what if they just, what if they have major league pitch grades on their pitches? Like what if they were a Friday night starter for Vandy, you know, in college for two years, you know, why, why put him in a ball? Like let's at least start him in double A. So, and then he was saying also that this is really interesting. Like, think about, um, you don't know what everybody else is going to do, right? But what everybody else does when they sort their prospects next year, when they put them, decide, okay, Hassel's going to double A or Hassel's going to high A. When they make that decision, they're making that decision for all their prospects in some way. But you don't know what their decision is going to be. So you don't know what double A is going to look like. Right. If everybody decides, okay, we're going to pretend 2020 didn't happen and we're just going to put the guys where we would have put them to start uh, 2020, then, and you decide, I'm going to push my guys, then all your guys are going to uh, go up against people older than them, you know, because everybody else was kept back and your guys may struggle and all of a sudden your prospects look bad because you pushed them and everybody else didn't, you know. Or if everybody else pushes and you don't, your guys are good, but they don't get the development that they need. Um, so I, what I assume is that people will be somewhat um, conservative when it comes to putting them in at first and then be more aggressive once they figure out what's happening. Hmm. Um, yeah, I can see so, that especially going on with pitchers, especially with the, with the, the lesson workload everyone had this year. There can be a lot hmm. of fresh arms, but I mean, it's just like you know, you're talking about you hadn't run more than 50 miles and all of a sudden you run 500 miles the body is going to have to take a bit to adjust to it. We saw it with Chris Paddock. You saw it with Stephen Strasburg. You can only go up a certain percentage of innings from the last year. Is everyone now back at the square one where if you threw 60 innings, 50 innings this year, how many can you go next year? Yeah. And that's going to be a big deal with prospects who didn't throw at all. Like, are you starting from scratch? I mean, you know, you've got the fresh arms because the guys haven't been, they don't have another year of, of, um, of wear and tear on them, but they also don't have a year of development on them. So how, how yeah. can that possibly be uh, approached? Ah, man, I, I, that's the number one question I've asked player development execs. And that's, that's like, that's my sourcing is like, that's the type of person I talk to the most. And they, they don't know. Uh, I had one guy tell me, you know, in the past, and we didn't, <laughs> we didn't have really great reasoning for this, but in the past, we would just sort of take a guy, look at him, look at him at you know, the NEC pitch and basically add 10%. Be like, that's what he can throw this year. <laughs> and he said, if you ask me why we did that, we wouldn't know why, but we just added 10%. Um, and, and maybe if they had been hurt or something, we would add less, or if they, we thought that they were strong, we'd add more. But there was sort of this like 10% thing. And even Alex Anthopoulos once said, that's what people do. Um, so uh, there was uh, some, like, we don't know why we do what we do. And so, you know, adding another layer of, oh my God, what do we do now? <laughs> um, I think means that everybody's like, oh, it's going to be more conservative. I mean, Jerry DePoto came out and said his young pitchers, like, he doubts any of them is going to throw more than 170. Uh, we already had sort of, uh, it used to be that there was 220 innings pitch was like something that a, a young stud could do. Um, you know, the number of pitchers throwing over 200 innings just keeps going down every year. Um, so 
you know, I think the, the, the answer is, I don't think that people are going to add 10% to 50. So if you threw 50 last year, I don't think they're just going to say 55. But I think that they are going to take innings you threw at Instructs, innings you threw at the alternate site and count those as, you know, sort of minor league innings. And the, the hardest part is that from the outside, we just won't know what that is. We won't know, you know, how to prognosticate. We won't know how to tell you how many innings certain pitchers can, can throw. How many innings can, can Mackenzie Gore throw next year? I have no idea. I have no idea how many he threw. Uh, but, um, you know, they're, they're just going to try and feel it out and uh, add a little bit more to what they, what they saw last year. And so I think you're going to see a, like a, maybe a, an unprecedented number of major league debuts next year, just a ton of young guys getting a chance as they sort of cycle through. And then now you got to take a break and now we're going to take this other guy up. Yeah, well, I, we, one thing that's for, for starting pitchers. And one thing I've, I've never really known is how, how do organizations replay, uh, approach relievers? Cause you're, you're not doing a, a big inning jump. If you're a relief pitcher, you know, if you're a closer, do they base it on appearances um, on outings, length of outings? Like, cause we all talk about you know, innings and workload. We that's, almost exclusively for starting pitchers. How are guys, because people specialize in college now, like you're really, you're a closer coming out of college and everybody mm -hmm. knows that you're a reliever coming out of college. Some guys, you know, they bounce back and forth, but those are the guys who are maybe starters and they realize that they're better off coming out of the pen or vice versa. If you are a relief pitcher and everyone knows it, how do you then change the workload based on something like this, you know, year to year? Yeah, I just had Trevor May on the podcast, and he's coming from the Twins, who have Josh Kalk uh, in their front office. He's a, a leader. He came from the Rays. He's a leader in um, sort of predicting injury, noticing when a pitcher is in the injury zone, something he actually did in the public domain before he uh, got uh, acquired by a team. Um, and so, um, I mean, some of the things that they do now um, – are based on like, where's your arm slot? Where's your velocity? How, has your stuff changed? If those things change, you're being pulled out of the game or you're down tonight. Like um, there, you know, Trevor May said on the twins, um, once uh, the new regime came in, there were a lot more days where you're like, uh, you're down today. Like you, like you're just not getting in at all. Um, and then there were, the other thing they did was count how many throws you threw in the bullpen that night. Um, and, um, and religiously sort of track your stuff in the bullpen uh, to kind of get an idea of how, how well you bounce back uh, and, and stuff like that. So I think that for relievers, it's a sort of a micro level thing where it's just like, how, how does your arm slot look? How did that last slider look? How did that last fastball look? How did your fastball look when you were in the bullpen compared to when the day before, how many times did we get you hot? How many throws did you have in the bullpen last night and more regimented? Like, you know, he said that sometimes they would come in and, uh, the bullpen coach would be like, you know, Clippard, May, uh, Sergio, you're out tonight. You're down, you know? And he said, sometimes it would be like four or five guys were down. And that meant that there was only three guys available in the bullpen that night. You know, it's not something you can tell, you know, the public because you can't let the other team know that. But um, that's what I think advanced teams are trying to do to keep their, their relievers healthy. Did, did I, how did that, do you know how that went with reporters? Because they're always so zoned in on like what guys are available and what guys are not. Do they, do they just become um, kind of acclimated to like, that's part of the process. They're being super cautious and you know, they're, that doesn't necessarily mean there's something alarms don't necessarily need to be going off because certain guys are down on certain nights. Um, I don't know. That's a, that's interesting. Um, I, I, I didn't cover the twins on a daily basis, so I, I can't tell. But I, I do know that in the age of gambling, 
Um, and in the age of uh, gambling partners for MLB, like the MGM, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, it's not really kosher to talk about the lineup tonight anymore and uh, whether or not someone's available tonight. Um, you know, there's a lineup. It is posted at some point. And, um, and even health issues. I remember Jose Altuve had a knee issue. The Astros wouldn't tell us what it was. Um, you know, wouldn't tell him, you know, how long he'd be out or what it was. And even when I asked him point blank, I'm like, what is wrong with your knee? Like, what's going on with your knee? He's like, I can't say. <laughs> You're like, what? So um, information like that uh, is uh, valued uh, by uh, the gambling sort of community. Sure. And so it's very precious and um, just doesn't, doesn't get talked about as much. Yeah. Well, yeah. The Astros, though, they like to play things That's really close they're, to the vest. It's, it's, they're, it's they're like, like the Stanley Cup playoffs now. It's like he's yeah. got a lower eighty percent of the body ailment. <laughs> yeah. I think Belichick might have started that. You know? <laughs> oh, no, I remember one Steve, of his legs Steve hurts. Eiserman one time. Steve Eiserman <laughs> yeah. was playing. He was skating for the Red Wings in the Stanley Cup playoffs. It was back in the like, like the late nineties, I think it was, and um, he had a broken foot. And all they would say is it's a lower body injury. Mm-hmm. And he's out there skating on a broken foot. So it's, <laughs> that's what that was going on in the NHL and they'll come to playoff time for years. Cause you don't, the second some, you know, Marty McSorley finds out what you've got is just, just wham, wham. He's just hacking away at that Get one at spot. It. On at it. Yeah. <laughs> you, you mentioned um, how this could benefit teams with lots of young pitchers and, you know, you've come to the right podcast. Um, you know, we, we've been clamoring so mm. much about, you know, Figured we'd see Mackenzie Gore this season. Um, things didn't turn out that way. We saw Patino, we saw Weathers, saw Morahone again. All those guys were kind of in that reliever role. And so we've, you know, one thing we've batted around a good bit is like, okay, what does it look like that transition to being in the rotation, stretching those guys out? Who's going to earn it? What do they look like? At what point do you just yeah. roll the dice and say, hey, you're in that role now? Um, you've written a lot about just kind of different options, free agency. You proposed the Snell trade, Lance Lynn, a guy that we talked about last week is now off the board. Um, what does it look like now as we sit here on December 10th in terms of the Padres options um, for fielding help um, in the rotation? Cause obviously that's, that's something that they're going to, they're going to need to do. What does that look like? What are, what are the avenues now right now? You know, I think it might make sense for them to sign someone like Trevor Rosenthal, uh, even though they have a decent bullpen. What I would want to do is uh, put Patino in with whether I want to, I kind of want to take him out of the bullpen. You know, I want to make Patino, Weathers, Morahan, and, and Gore, I want them to be up and down starters. I want them to be starting on like some sort of schedule that's almost like a tandem thing. I would want to have like one analyst in my front office that's just managing the schedule of those four guys, you know, it's like, okay, we're going to demote Patino this day and bring up Weathers and he's going to pitch here and here, and then we'll demote him here and we'll pill up, you know, and if you play that game, you could do things where they kind of pitch three or four innings, right? It's hard to do that. If you have a 25 man roster, 26 man roster, maybe a little bit easier if it's 28 or something even easier. But if it's just like a 26-man roster, you, you like, you know, you, it gets a little bit dicey. But I think I would just have them kind of like an up-and-down year where they, they're sometimes in the minor leagues and their minor league starts are like two innings just to mm-hmm. keep fresh and, and, and a little bit longer than one inning. 
but I don't want to waste Pati- I'm like I'm waste. I don't want to put Patino in the bullpen right now when I might need three or four innings out of him. And even if um, you do, that's actually a really interesting idea because you could even do it for he goes out there and he gives you what he's got. If he can go five or six that day, he goes five or six that day because they're all going to have options. You know, you can waste right. an entire year because most of these guys, I mean, they're all top prospect kind of guys. Odds are they're not going to have issues with running out of option years somewhere down the road. So you, you can gamble with all four of them. Be like, okay, Luis, you're up for two weeks. Ryan, you're up for two weeks. Mackenzie, you're up for two weeks. Adrian, you're up for two weeks. Ten and days, yeah. two or three starts. Even down to the ten days. And that's your, that's your fifth starter. Right, yeah. And I think it's four guys to make, you know, one and a half starters. You know, so if that's – if you're, like, trying to get 300 innings out of four guys, maybe they end up – maybe each end up around 90 to 100 innings. I think that would be an okay jump, you know. I think, you know – um, and, and some of those innings you, you do in the minor leagues where, you know, you try to keep it less stress and you, you tell them that you're, you know, you're just keeping fresh. It's almost like an advanced bullpen day, you know, uh, advanced, uh, you know, so you're just keeping them on that schedule. You, you get buy-in from them. You say, Hey, this, this is how we can use you as a starter and not just put you in the pen now because we're get, we're getting, we got too many pitchers or whatever, you know, you get buy-in from them and you say, this is what the year is going to be like. You're going to be up and down, but you know, hopefully at the end of the year uh, you've separated yourself or you become the third starter or the second starter, or you, you'll have the chance. You'll have the chance to show yourself. Um, and it could almost be sort of a tandem thing where you've got two of them available on one day uh, and you might only get two or three innings from each, but, uh, because you've got the options, you can kind of play with it. So that's, that's, there are guys that, uh, in different orgs that are responsible only for managing the options of the bullpen and sort of, you know, trying to figure out how to, you know, demote, promote and keep guys healthy and who's down. So this is just sort of adding a wrinkle to that and doing that on the back end of the rotation too. How far down the rabbit hole do they go with that? Cause three of them are lefties. So then they're looking at matchups like, well, Cincinnati doesn't handle lefties very well. Let's bring them two of them up when they come to pick up. Like, would it, would it be that, was that level of minutiae what we're dealing with here? I mean, do it, do it. This is what, <laughs> I think this is what teams need to learn from the Rays. The Rays think about every single thing like that, you know? And then they, they overthink it when Blake Snell is throwing a gem. Uh, okay. All right. All right. I mean, you know, there is that example, but, but, but still like in, in terms of like taking a, a group of pitchers and making it work, they had like a ton of injuries and yet they still managed to find a group that, that got them all the way to the world series. And I think a lot of it was like, who's up, who's down, uh, who's healthy, who's pitching the best, who's going to pitch in the seventh, who's going to pitch in the ninth, just adding a kid, kid, a kid like Rosenthal, you know, to the to the back end of that rotate that, that bullpen pushes some of that resource towards the towards the, the uh, starting rotation. I don't think that you necessarily um, need a Sagano or Tanaka or Bauer as much if you if you um, and I don't even know if they have the money for that. I mean, I, I see a need in the outfield. I see a need possibly in the bullpen, and I see a need in the starting rotation. Uh, and I see about fifteen million dollars to twenty million dollars to do it. So I don't know that they have. Uh, money for uh, Sugano, Tanaka, or uh, Bauer, and those other needs. Yeah, you gave the uh, Rosenthal, Taiwan Walker, Jock Peterson combo on Twitter. Uh, it doesn't have to be Jock. I know people are mad about Jock. <laughs> it doesn't have to be Jock. I was going to say, has, uh, it, has, but... that, has that morphed at all? Any other ideas in terms of a, a combo <laughs> that they could 
they could bring in to scratch the necessary itches while staying within a certain. Uh, He's a really good lefty bat. They need a lefty bat. They need a lefty bat to DH when they need a DH or if the DH comes back. Um, Myers is projected to be below average in right field. He's a righty. It would be good to have a lefty bat. Um, and I guess it could be Profar, but I think calling Profar utility guy, um, I think that oversells his defensive abilities. So, uh, Are you think, insinuating Brian O'Grady is not that guy? I was going to say. <laughs> but uh i mean there there are some names out there that it could be um it could have been eaten you know uh but uh there there's there are some names out there um and they don't have to spend a ton so uh the lineup is 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 in good shape in fact right now the padres are projected to be a top five team so they're just looking for things around the edges some depth uh someone to place greg garcia that sort of thing i don't think that um I, I don't think they'd need to, uh, you know, drop $30 million a year on Bauer right now. Well, you mentioned – when are we going to know if they have a DH in the National League? Because, I mean, that puts them – I mean, I would assume that they would immediately start calling Kyle Schwarber's people. If you want to get a big thumper left-handed bat that you want to put in be, there who's going to be, be really able to, to swing it like crazy, they're not doing that if there's no DH because he's defensively challenged, I guess, is the – But he could – I mean, it. they could almost sign him. They could almost sign him. I mean, if it, it, he was only projected to be about eight million, so if you want uh, Schwarber over Peterson, then do it. And then what you would do is he DHs when you're playing an American League team, um, and uh, he platoons sometimes in the outfield with Will Myers. Um, and I don't think you really want Schwarber facing a lefty anyway. So uh, I think you know Schwarber. There, there's your name. So bring in Schwarber for eight million. Bring in Rosenthal for eight million, um, and. Uh, find some uh find a utility infielder that's that's i people won't be like oh that was an amazing offseason i'd be like that's what they needed bring back greg garcia humor me on sagano what do we need to know where does he fit it sounds like he's kind of a mid-rotation guy um because he's in terms of the fan base he's a guy whose name is out there he seems like you know and i, I think you guys even mentioned like on the list of teams that are, are going to mm-hmm. kick the tires and, and be in the running. Padres are, are amongst them. What do we need to know about Sagano? Uh, the thing about Sagano that I like is that he threw his slider over a quarter of the time last year. This is a slider league right now. So um, I think, and it, I don't want to make a lazy comp, you know, oh, Japanese, Japanese, but uh, Tanaka is a decent comp because Tanaka ended up throwing his slider a ton, even more than his fastball. Uh, the hope is that the fastball is a little bit better than Tanaka's because he's younger and um, maybe it has better shape. I, I, I can't speak to that necessarily without getting my hands on some uh, TrackMan data. But uh, um, from what I see, uh, chance he's better than Tanaka, chance he's worse, which is um, why he'll cost less because um, Tanaka has proven his ability to, to pitch in the major league. So I think Tanaka will get around 15 a year and I think Sagan will get about 10 a year. Uh, plus the posting fee. So I had predicted uh, five and 50. I said Blue Jays, but I had Blue Jays Padres uh, as maybe duking it out for that one. And we know that the Padres do like to play in the international market and they do have Hideo Nomo who is in there on the player development side. Uh, how much, how much does he, cause we all know who he is here in, in, you know, in the America through a no hitter, of course field. He was a Dodger grade. He was kind of took the, almost like the, the, um, I guess the Pacific Rim version of Fernando Valenzuela, where it just kind of ignited an entire, you know, country when it comes to major league baseball, does he still have that kind of pull or sway with some of the younger players who are coming in? And can he be the guy who can maybe bring some of these, uh, these Japanese players over to, uh, over the Padres? 
You know, one thing that's really interesting is, I mean, first of all, Nomo is a legend in Japan. I mean, he is, he is Babe Ruth. He's, you know, he's, he's just like the guy. And um, everybody respects the hell out of him. He's just a great guy. Um, and I think he's an absolute uh, benefit asset for the Padres. And one thing I was thinking about is that it's my uh, appraisal of the situation that it's not always money that makes the last difference when it comes to a player coming over from Japan. Um, and I don't want that to uh, just be a sort of thing I created or, or somehow uh, bigoted or, or some thought of like what Japanese people are like. Um, what I'm, what I, but I, if you think about how like the Otani thing went, um, you know, all these presentations that people made, that was a little bit different because the money was capped on him. Um, but I, I do think that uh, in these uh, negotiations, a lot of times other things matter. Uh, things have, that have been talked about by players who've signed in the past have been like, you know, what kind of Japanese population do you have? What kind of uh, access to food? How close am I to Japan? You know, the flights and stuff like that. Um, so I think those things will matter. And one thing that I just thought about that is interesting, they're paid better than the average minor, minor leaguer. <laughs> you know, they're not coming here uh, being like, oh, I've been making 25000 a year and now I need my big payday. A lot of times coming here uh, from, from public comments sounds like I want to go up against the best in the world. The MLB is the best in the world. I want to come here and succeed against the best in the world. So I want to find a place where I'm su succeed. I want to be comfortable and I want to succeed. And I already have made you know, four, five, six million dollars uh, playing in Japan the last few years. I've already made some money. So it's not like this is my only payday. Um, and so that's why you see Maeda si signed a really weird contract um, that, you know, threatened to not pay him that much. It was like this eight year, totally incentivized, incentive laden contract. But I think part of it was no more pitch with the Dodgers. I'm going to pitch with the Dodgers. This is great. The Dodgers are good. I'm going to win. You know, this is the place where I want to be. So whatever you know, contract, I'm going to sign them. I'll figure it out. So, um, you know, I think the Blue Jays have some appeal to as an international team uh, with Hunjin Ryu right there. I know they're, it's Korea, not Japan, but like, that's kind of a cool thing to have, like your ace be from Korea and your second guy from Japan or whatever. Um, and I think that they might have some things to say in terms of Toronto as a city, but I think San Diego uh, can step right up there with them. Um, having Noma will help. With, uh, we, we've mentioned Snell, and last week Derek, Derek got down the Snell uh, rabbit hole last week when I, when I brought that up. You see him getting dealt? How real do you think uh, that is? The, the, the Rays, everybody on the Rays is available, you know? <laughs> I mean, other than maybe Wander Franco, I think everybody on the Rays is available. Uh, and they only care about the next two years uh, in terms of, uh, you know, projections. So, um, I don't know. I think um, – Maybe they want to pair Kiermaier with him and get the salary relief. Uh, maybe they just want to get a young bat. You know, I think that the one thing that they were a little bit behind on that got exposed a little bit in the World Series was they could use a bat that makes a lot of contact with power. Uh, maybe Wanda Franco's that, but they could also use other guys that do that. And so um, if someone offered them a young major league bat, I think uh, with some pitching, I think they would jump at it. Does the Lance Lynn deal shed any light on what it would take to get Blake Snow? Yeah, I might have uh, I might have overreached a little bit in some of my uh, proposals. I, I'll admit that um, you know the feedback has been mostly like that's too much, and you know I don't know if that's prospect hugging or or if uh, it's legitimate feedback. Um, 
you know, I think now that basically a Snell trade could have been Vaughn plus Dunning, um, you know, and I do think that Snell is um, on a three-year contract, $10 million a year, uh, projected to be a top 15 pitcher. I think he's worth that much more than Lynn. Um, so it takes, a, it takes a, a, a young major league player plus a good prospect pitcher plus another prospect. That's, that's something that I've heard internally, you know, I've heard, you know, in baseball. And then I think that's, I think that's what it'll take. Somebody might uh, pony up. The Rays know how to sell high. Um, they, they are really, really good at no understanding that this, if it may seem like it's crazy when you're coming off of American league pennant, and you've got one of the best left-handed pitchers in the game under a very team-friendly contract for the next three years. Why aren't you to double down on that? But they're not looking, as you said, for the next two or three years. They want to make sure that they never have that, that break, that lull. So yeah. if you've got an asset and you can then, if you deal Blake Snell and maybe you take a hit next year, well, in two years, you're, you're better off for it. Like that, that's how they look at this. And they know that somebody who's close, and of course this points directly to San Diego, would look at this and go, man, we're going to get over that team up there in LA. We're going to need to do something nuts. Like what if they lose out on Sagano and they just feel like, Oh, are we really going to play this game with the four pitchers in the back of our rotation? Or do we just deal two of those guys? And maybe, maybe it was too much Patino and Morahan plus another piece, right? Maybe that was too much. We don't know what Camposano's situation is, um, but maybe it's Weathers and, and Morhan, or maybe it's Weathers and Patino, whatever it is, you know, they have a bunch of pitching. They might just turn two of those into Snell. And then that's the other thing that we talked about is, you know, we know right now what Blake Snell is Yeah. right now. None of those guys you mentioned is, is Blake Snell. We now, don't even know. Years, they could we be. don't even know how hard Gore's throwing. Yeah. In, in a couple years, they could be, you know, you know, you never know. They could, Mackenzie Gore could be Clayton Kershaw, like we heard, and Luis Patino right. could be Juan Marichal. You know, they eventually they could be those guys, but right now they're not. And if you're trying right. to win right now without completely mortgaging the future, that's something that they've got to look at and go, mm, God, do we? Now, that's what right. we were sitting here, just like, like almost like in, in physical pain, going, Dude, do we do it? I, yeah. yeah. I mean, like Tatis, Tatis and Grisham aren't going anywhere, you know? So Keep your hands off my shortstop, you know? Yeah, it's not going to be one of those guys. I mean, those are, those are up the middle foundational pieces um, on their rookie contracts. Like they're not going anywhere. So, um, and I don't think, you know, like trading Cronenworth back is, I mean, that's not, so it's, it's pitching the Padres, the Padres offer would be pitching forward for sure. Um, maybe, maybe with the catcher in it once his legal situation is resolved. Yeah. Well, enjoy catching up with you as always. Congratulations on the 500 miles. Um, anything you want to plug, uh, podcasts or articles on the site right now that I mean, we, we kind of mentioned some of them, but um, certainly the oh, well, one, you know, I was just, well, just going to say certainly the one about the impact on the minor league system and prospects. That's a good um, one. Yeah. And then, uh, the, you know, people can listen to my, my podcast for free, uh, Rates and Barrels. Um, and I did a recent one with, with Trevor May that was really uh, fun. And it was fun because it was like, oh my gosh, this is like a, like an, almost an in-person interview. Like this is, this is what I like to do. Um, and off of that uh, podcast, if you, or if you try to find it on, on The Athletic, is probably our best deal. So if you follow that, you'll find uh, the best deal to get The Athletic. There's right now, there's like a buy one, get one free for, uh, for holidays. But I think if you follow my podcast, you might find uh, an even better one. So uh, that's what, uh, that's how we're all send people right now. You guys do fantastic work. I've had the subscription for a while and between, you know, 
Dennis with the Padres and uh, guys writing about the Sixers, you know, in Philly. Um, I've I've definitely gotten the the money. Ken there. Rosenthal and Jason Stark, dude. Yeah, I mean, I that you guys are dude, loaded. Those are Hall of Famers, and those are guys that like. I, I can't believe I work with them. You know, those are guys that like I've looked up to my whole career. You know, so it's well, uh, it's been pretty fun. Don't sell yourself short. You've been doing great work and uh, continued success. Uh, enjoy the rest of the off season. Uh, hope to see you in person before too long at some point in 2021. And uh, enjoy the holidays as well. Yes. Thanks for having me. See Thanks, you Thanks, you know. Thanks, you know.